Welcome to episode 46 of Mike's Notes. These notes and ideas come from Dave Oliver's book Against the Tide. Oliver is a retired rear admiral in the United States Navy. He was uh, one of the early commanders of some of the first nuclear submarines in the Navy. And Oliver's book is mostly about his experiences working with um, Admiral Hyman Rickover. While many of Oliver's stories are really entertaining and informative, there was one that stuck out that I wanted to address on the podcast, and that was about Chesterton fences and nuclear submarines. Oliver describes Condition Baker in the book. This was when a diesel submarine would close all of the doors between the compartments and would close and shut all of the valves in between the compartments during a surfacing maneuver. Diesel submarines had to do this because when they surfaced in the last 200 feet, they were often in shipping lanes, and so they had to have things watertight in case there was an accident, in case the submarine uh, bumped into a surface ship on its way up. The idea was that one compartment could flood, but the rest would remain watertight, and so the ship, the submarine, would keep its buoyancy. Submarines did this because they were in shipping lanes and because it was hard to surface a diesel submarine. And this conditioned baker continued through diesel submarines into the nuclear navy. It was still part of the surfacing procedures, even though the type of ship had changed. Oliver noted that this was a problem one day when he was working in an engineering section of the submarine, and they were recharging the batteries. On a nuclear submarine, when they recharged the batteries, it was important that there was air flow through the compartment so certain elements wouldn't overheat. If they overheated, there could potentially be an explosion on board the ship. Well, one day, Oliver is on a submarine and conditioned Baker is ordered and he gets on the phone or he gets on the horn and he tells them what they're doing and the condition didn't stop. They continued to seal up the submarine and Oliver's sub and crew safely made it through this procedure, but he realized that this was a Chesterton fence. This was a relic of another time. We get the terminology for Chesterton fences from a short story G.K. Chesterton wrote. This is what Chesterton put down. Let us say, for the sake of simplicity, a fence or gate erected across the road. The more modern type of reformer goes gaily up to it and says, I don't see the use of this. Let us clear it away to which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, if you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then when you come back and tell me that you will see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. Chesterton's point is that we shouldn't necessarily just get rid of something because we come across it. We should know the history of something before we decide to take measures on something. That's what Oliver ended up doing. He knew the details of the diesel submarines, and he knew the details of battery charging on nuclear submarines, and because he had a deep enough understanding, he was able to say that this antiquated technique, this old-style system, didn't need um, to be in the Navy anymore. They didn't need to do this kind of thing anymore. Having a deep understanding is a really powerful way to understand things and why we do things. And um, I was reminded of this during the recent presidential election when President 
Presidential nominee Hillary Clinton won the popular vote but lost the Electoral College. And this is the fifth time it's happened. So you're going to see news stories and you're going to hear people talking about why this is a good idea or it isn't a good idea. But we can uh, take this idea from G.K. Chesterton and we can apply it to our lives and say, well, why is this fence here? Why is the Electoral College system here? Another example that I've come across in my readings is the fact that the San Antonio Spurs don't have pregame shoot-arounds. The pregame shoot-around came after a coach of the Los Angeles Lakers won an NBA title, and it sort of proliferated through the system uh, based on his success. Part of the reason it proliferated was because other people thought that this was a thing that led to his success. Less people looked at the types of players that were on those Lakers teams. Spurs coach Greg Popovich said that they got rid of the pregame shoot-around because it doesn't do anything. It doesn't relax the players. It doesn't warm the players up. It doesn't focus the players. In his experience, he found that you can get rid of that fence. You can get rid of the pregame shoot-around because Popovich has a deep understanding. In episode 44 of his podcast, Jocko Willing talks a lot about leadership and what's it mean to be a good leader. And um, Willing says that sometimes as a leader, when you enter a new situation, like a new commander of a military unit, or you get a promotion at work, you need to go in and shake things up. You need to set the tone that there's a new sheriff in town. But um, you do so in a certain way. You don't just shake up the marbles in the jar because you can shake up the marbles in the jar. This is what Willing said. Notice the things I just said that were fairly irrelevant. No parking in the back lot, for example. Those are fairly inconsequential things, and those are okay. Occasionally, you see someone come in and try to execute a fundamental change, and you go, wait a second, we've been here for a day and a half, and you went to execute a fundamental change in what we're doing here? We have a problem with that. So what Willink wants leaders to know, what his experience as a leader dictates, is that you can come in and you can make changes to like really small Chesterton fences, things that are inconsequential, things that are fairly irrelevant. But when you come across big things, when you come across like a big fence across a road or a gate across the road, you should uh, address those in a different way. You should try to rethink those things. In his book, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth, Chris Hadfield writes about this as an astronaut sees it. Hadfield points out in the book that once you become an astronaut, you've been the best of the best for a long time. You were the best in college or whatever other training you had. You were likely one of the best either fighter pilots or test pilots in your area of expertise. And so a lot of astronauts want to come in and they want to enter NASA or whatever other space program. And they think that because they're the best, they know the best thing to do. Hadfield has a different approach. This is what he wrote. Over the years, I've realized that in any new situation, whether it involves an elevator or a rocket ship, you will almost certainly be viewed in one of three ways. As a minus one, actively harmful, someone who creates problems, or as a zero, your impact is neutral and doesn't tip the balance one way or the other. Or you'll be seen as a plus one, as someone who actively adds value. Everyone wants to be a plus one, of course, but proclaiming your plus oneness at the outset almost guarantees you'll be perceived as a minus one regardless of the skills you bring to the table or how you actually perform. Hadfield goes on to explain that the first time he went to space, his goal was to be a zero. He didn't want to do anything more than what his responsibility was. He wanted to 
learn from the other people there. He wanted to observe their construction of the Chesterton fences. They were doing things a certain way for a certain reason. He was in a way, coming across the fences in the woods as they were being constructed, and so he could see what was going on. If Hadfield had tried to come in as a plus one and institute changes because he knew it all, he would be missing the way things had been done and the way things had been done for a reason. A lot of times, I find myself in a situation where I think that the way someone does something is not right. And almost always, I am in such a knowledge deficit in those situations. I look at car commercials on television, for example, and car commercials never appeal to me. It doesn't make sense that you would sell a car that way, but it has to make sense uh, to somebody. There has to be a reason. There has to be a Chesterton fence about why things are done that way. If I really wanted to have an opinion about car commercials on TV, I would find out what that Chesterton fence is. I would find out why that gate is across the road. And then once I understood it, I could decide to tear it down or leave it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mike's Notes.